Welcome to Genuine Humans, exploring the stories behind the great marketing leaders of our time and hearing how their journeys have influenced the brands they've built. Brought to you by The Social Element, here are our hosts, Tamara Littleton, CEO and founder, and Wendy Christie, Chief People Officer. Welcome back to Genuine Humans podcast, and I'm here with Wendy Christie, my co-host. Wendy, how are you doing? Good, thank you. It's a lovely, crisp, sunny day up here in Aberdeenshire, so I've got a smile on my face. How are you? Ah, oh, yeah, no, I'm the same, nice and crisp here in sunny Walthamstow. <laughs> very different. Now, I'm very, very excited about our next guest because actually one of our missions on the podcast is to meet the people behind the brands. And I know that Innocent is a brand that is such uh, held in such high regard in our industry. So we are delighted to welcome the genuine human behind the brand, Katie Martin, Head of Marketing Excellence at Innocent. Welcome, Katie. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much. What an introduction. I feel a big responsibility as the person behind the brand, but it's very much team effort. Really tough to be here. And thank you for having me. I know it's always a team effort. And I think it's that that thing about some people sort of like say, oh, it's like genuine humans, but that's that's the whole thing. It's like we're really keen to sort of give people space to sort of talk about their own stories. So with that in mind, what I would love to know, Katie, is how did you get to where you are now? Do you want to give everyone a bit of a flavour of, of your early career? Yes. So interestingly, my career actually started in events. And it started as a summer job during university. I kind of fell into a job every summer working in events. And I loved it. Uh, probably why I went back to it every summer. And actually, I was studying English Lit at university, which as I may or may not be aware, is now a dying degree. I think the majority of people are sensibly choosing to go into STEM. But I I loved English and I didn't really have that clear vocational, what do I want to do when I grow up, quote unquote, feeling. So for me, getting that experience working in events every summer made me realise it was something I really enjoyed, something I was quite good at. I'm very, very organised And I thought, great, I'm going to give this a bash. I'm going to see how it goes. And I left university. I went traveling, took some time out. And I came back and started with a job, a job in events, working as a conference producer, which honestly is one of the hardest jobs I have ever done. And I take my hat off to anyone who works in conference production. But it was during that time that I worked for, I worked for a publishing company and I produced a number of conferences on marketing and for different marketing publications. So I learned a bit about marketing and I thought, oh, this is interesting. So I did the conference production for a while and then I left and joined a consumer exhibitions company. So again, very much working in events still, but more in a marketing role. And again, I loved it. Very, very tough. I think it takes a certain amount of resilience and stamina to work in events. And honestly, I I was very early in my career and I think I really experienced burnout at a time when burnout probably wasn't really a recognized thing, I think, in the way it is now and how the mental health and wellness, you know, shift that we have experienced over the last few years 
um, has really kind of come to the forefront. But I think I really, truly experienced burnout and ended up in hospital and really thinking, gosh, I'm, I'm not sure events is, is really for me or I'm not really cut out for events. Mm. And so that was a real kind of early realisation in my career. But I, what I did know is that I really loved marketing. And I also had a kind of niggly feeling in the back of my mind that there was more to life than events. There was, you know, I wanted to to make a difference and do something a bit different. And so I spoke to a few recruitment agents and I said, oh, FMTG, fast moving consumer goods, that's that's a nice area of marketing. And they said, yeah, good luck with that. You've not worked <laughs> in FMCG. You will not be getting a job in FMCG. And I thought, oh, well, interesting. That's that's fine. That's that then. Uh, but during that time at that events company, I had a very dear friend who still to this day is a very close friend of, of mine. She's from New Zealand. So forgive my highly dodgy accent. But every day for two years, she would say to me, mate, you're wasted here. You need to go and work for Innocent. And <laughs> Pretty good was- accent, I'd say. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, she would probably disagree, but thank you. Um, And I think there was something about her saying that to me and her belief in me that it almost became a bit of an affirmation, you know, and I think this affirmation sometimes turn into a belief and then you change your behavior. And I think hearing her say that every day for two years, and I think it was, I, I still to this day don't really know why she said it. I think it was partly she thought I would fit in and how right she clearly was. But also, I think it was that sense of, you know, I had a real passion for copywriting. And at the time, I think Innocent were writing a bit differently to how other brands did. And and she kept saying, just just rock up, just go knock on their door. You live just down the road, knock on their door and ask for a job. And that made me honestly die a little bit on the inside. I was like, I'm not doing that. That's not me. But in the end, I plucked up the courage and sent in my CV to Innocent. And I had a call from somebody in their people team who said, thanks very much. Love your experience, but we're not, there's not really a role for you here at the minute. So we'll keep your CV on file. And, you know, that was that. And I thought, oh, well, that's nice. That's a polite no, you know, thanks, but no thanks. But sure enough, three months later, they rang me back. And I remember it really clearly because I was actually working at one of my events and they rang me back and said, look, a job's come up and we would love for you to interview for it. The recruiting manager has seen your CV and would love to meet you. So I had an interview. I mean, the innocent interview process was extremely rigorous. I think I had about six hours of interviews. I mean, I cried. There were tears, not during the interview, but afterwards. And I'll I'll talk about that a bit more later. (laughs) But, um, you know, I, I then got offered a job and I joined Innocent in their customer marketing team, as it was then, shopper marketing team, as it is now, uh, working in our UK uh, team. And honestly, I think in those days, I thought, oh, you know, shopper marketing, customer marketing, I will use this as a, as a foot in the door to get into brand, ultimately brand marketing, because, you know, really, let's be honest, that's the sexy side, right? <laughs> but I then found I had this really unique and passion, you know, really real passion for shopper. I think it's that beautifully placed intersection between commercial and marketing. And I loved it. And I, I stayed um, at Innocent in that in that role, in that team, worked my way up through that team, working on lots of different customers, managing different people. And after probably nearly five years of, of doing that, I couldn't quite see the obvious next step for me at Innocent. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we talk a lot at Innocent about being in the driving seat for your career. 
And I think I was quite unique in the fact that I really wanted to build a depth career in Chopper. You know, I really loved that specialism. I didn't really want to move into other functions. And so I thought, right, if I'm going to keep developing, then I probably need to leave and go elsewhere. So I left and I went to a company called Bear Nibbles, who make fruit snacks, uh, mainly for children, but a lot of adults love them too. Mm-hmm. And so I clearly have a criteria of uh, fruit in the companies I work for, you know, squashed, dried, whatever. <laughs> I've clearly got a passion for fruit, fruit and veg. So I went over to Bear to kind of set up their shopper function. They didn't really have one at the time and they were tiny. They were probably about 20 to 25 people. And I had a team of about five different people who all were really early in their career, all working in very different functions that I had no experience in. So whether that was a bit of brand, a bit of events or shopper, which obviously I did have a bit of experience in, or customer service. And I think what I learned in that time was how I wanted to be as a leader. And I recognized that kind of sense of, you don't need to know and understand the ins and outs of what your team do and how they do it. You can coach and support and lead and and it really taught me so much about myself and so much about the kind of leader I wanted to be. And sure enough, in that time, Innocent had a restructure and created the head of shopper marketing role in the UK, which wasn't there when I left. So I returned to Innocent within a year. And uh, so I'm proud member of what we call the Boomerang Club, people who've <laughs> left and, and come back. And um, and honestly, I think stepping up into that role, had I not left, had I not had that experience of managing those different people, you know, so staying in shopper, but having that experience of leading a team of many different functions, I think I wouldn't have done the head of shopper role in, in the way that I did. And I think it really taught me a lot about myself, a lot about leadership, that, that leaving and then coming back and returning to innocence. It's why um, people who have like maybe like more of an entrepreneurial approach of like when you had that experience of being able to sort of see all of the different functions, but as you say, you know, really sort of see how you want to lead things. But it's it's such a great experience to sort of just take your your head out of where you were and and have a new experience. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, and I think it, I'm I feel really blessed that I had that opportunity because I think many of us will just plough through and never really get a chance like that. So. Yeah. So I returned to Innocent to the head of shop marketing role, um, which was, you know, brand new, brand new role as well. So obviously I knew the team, I knew the history. I'd, I'd really kind of been involved in shaping how Shopper was at Innocent. But to come back and head up the team, you know, really challenging role. Um, and the first couple of years were, were quite rough and ready, I would say. And I, again, big, big, big learning curve. And I think the jump from being, you know, shop marketing manager to being that kind of head of team leader role, as we call it, innocent was much greater than I anticipated. But, you know, that kind of really steep two year learning curve, I then really found my flow. And I did that role probably for five or six years. Mm -hmm. During that time, I also became a parent. So I had a couple of years out uh, for parental leave and to welcome my two strong, independent young women to the world. (laughs) <laughs> um, and, and then we were, I remember it was back end of 2020, that delightful time when we were all experiencing the plague and, mm-hmm. um, Innocent had a, another restructure and in that restructure, and I hope this isn't testament to how I did the head of shop marketing role, but in that restructure, the head of shop marketing role was made redundant. So, um, suddenly I found myself in this position where I didn't know what the next step was. I had a very young family. We were coming out of the back of a pandemic and I 
I had a day of feeling incredibly upset, angry, you know, real emotional roller coaster. Mm. And then I thought, you know, whatever happens, I'm going to learn something and something positive will come from this situation. But I think also I felt acutely aware that I was at that point in my career that I had such depth and specialism in one area that if I left Innocent, it would need to be for another shopper marketing role. And on the other hand, I had had been having great uh, development conversations, development chats with my manager at the time, who was a chap called Nick, who is now our CEO, actually. And um, we've been having some really good conversations about what the future looked like for me and had kind of settled on this space of somewhere between generalist marketing and people And when I talk about people, I mean both people at the heart of a role, but also maybe something in the kind of HR, learning and development space, partnering. But at the time, I remember we had these brilliant conversations and we were really clear on where my future should be going, but there wasn't really a role there that existed. And at the time, I didn't know that marketing excellence was a thing. And anyway, part of the reason that role was made redundant was because we'd had a restructure in the marketing community. And that restructure was moving from being very much a collection of regional marketing teams to one European marketing community across Europe. Mm. And we also decided it was time to really introduce a innocent framework for growth, a kind of marketing philosophy, what we stood for, and a capability program alongside that to support it. And Basically, there was a, a conversation that was along the lines of, I think we need somebody to help embed this structure and this new way of working. And so they said to me, look, can you help? But it's a six month contract. So I remember being at this really pivotal point where it was, do I, and I had offers externally to go and work in shopper marketing elsewhere. So did I leave and go and work in shopper marketing at another business or did I stay potentially just for six months, but to get a bit of a step in the right direction in terms of that generalist marketing stroke, people at the heart type role. Mm. And of, of course, you know, spoiler warning, but I stayed <laughs> and uh, and here I am. And what, what was a six month contract initially turned into a year contract. And then it turned into me stepping up to be the, the head of marketing excellence and I've now been doing that it's about three years uh, now and that's where we are today I see the lure of the fruit was too much (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, and the other opportunities were not squash fruit or dried fruit so yeah (laughs) clearly that's it that's wonderful thank you yeah, thanks, Katie. And I'd, I'd love, if you don't mind, for us to go even further back. So you started talking about from university onwards. Let's go even further back and talk about what you were like as a child. <laughs> so I think there's some important context that you need to know about my childhood, uh, which is that I am the daughter of a fighter pilot. My father oh, was in wow. the Royal Air Force. <laughs> yeah, and he flew Harriers, um, also known as Harrier Jump Jets. But anyway, if that's more about him, we'll hear about me. Um, so I was the daughter of a, yeah, a fighter pilot and we moved every two years when I was a child and we moved within the UK. We moved into Germany as well. And I think what that meant for me as a child is I was used to kind of up and leaving every few years, but also moving with a wider community that, you know, that people talk about the Royal Air Force family. And I think I did really feel that. So you'd move around with families, you'd cross paths at different times. But I think what that meant is that as a, as a young child in those real kind of formative years, I shaped this ability to create quite deep connections with people quite quickly and quite deep friendships quite quickly. I think 
I was quite studious. I liked following the rules and I still do today. I'm quite a geek and I'm proud of that status. I am a people pleaser by nature and I'd love to say I'm in recovery, but I'm really not. Uh, that is something that <laughs> oh, is going to <laughs> stay I with feel, me. I feel your pain. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. And I know I'm not alone. And I think looking back, it's really funny. My, my mum produced a load of school reports from when I was a child and when I look back to, you know, my earliest years at school, my school reports say, and actually they refer to me as Catherine. So this just ages it because I can't remember being called Catherine. But um, Catherine walks into a room and expects everyone to be her friend. And I think that is still something that I live by. And it sounds naive, but honestly, I am, you know, went into my my adulthood and it still is something that I stand by and live by. You know, you're kind of my friend until you prove me wrong. And it just, for me, it works. The other context that I think is worth noting is that I I was, you know, one of the original versions of outsourcing. I was sent to boarding school when I was seven. And I think that also in itself meant that I grew up very quickly. I was very independent, very young and kind of self-reliant. Um, and I had my big brother there. You know, I was quite an annoying little sister. Uh, so the, the two of us were there. But, you know, my parents would be in Germany and we would be in the UK. And so I think I, I grew up quite quickly and became quite independent as well. You said, um, I think it was when you were at university, that you didn't really have a sense of what you wanted to, to do as a, as a career when you left and you discovered marketing a bit later. What about when you were little? Did you have any big ideas about what you wanted to be when you grew up? Yes. Yeah, so when I said I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, I was actually really clear on what I wanted to do, but it wasn't really a viable career because I always wanted to be an actor. Right. And and I don't think that ever changed. I think I was Mary in my first nativity play at school. Um, I was often given the part of narrator. I think I had a clear voice. Uh, or my dad would tell you I was just quite loud. And <laughs> and honestly, and I think also, you know, my parents really hoped that acting was a fad, but I really stuck by it. I and actually, honestly, it set me up so well. I it paid for my sixth form education because I was fortunate enough to receive a drama scholarship to a, a top school and also the experiences I got from it you know I got to go on a touring production in California when I was 16 oh, wow. um, and I, I performed uh, the vagina monologues at Leeds University and in, in a theatre in Leeds and you know that, it just was incredible but I think for me it's partly why I loved events because there is a real parallel between theatre and events, you know, you're working towards a kind of end goal, you're working towards the live performance. And there's the rehearsing, there's the hard graft up until that. And then you kind of get to perform in a way. So I think that's probably, whilst I, I didn't quite get to be an actor, uh, I think the, the events um, roles kind of satiated that need for me. And and often, you know, we don't get to where, where we get to without the support of other people, other genuine humans. So um, are there people who over the years have given you that extra bit of support or have really influenced you in your career? I think this is a great question because we'd all have those people, you know, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a family member. But I, I, when I was thinking about this podcast and those people who have influenced me, I've, cho I've chosen somebody who I think has had a huge impact on my career specifically um, and that is Sarah Jane SJ, who recruited me to Innocent initially. She so she wasn't the one who made me cry in the interview, but, <laughs> but she recruited she recruited me to Innocent and has always been such a coach 
to me over the years. And I think she was someone in my early career at Innocent that was a real cheerleader for me, you know, really in my corner, really had my back. And also what I love about SJ is that she's never shied away from the tough stuff. She is great at giving me the pointy feedback that I need to hear to help me develop. And and she's always been somebody that I've really trusted, you know, and, and she now is, is a dear friend of mine. She's a big part of our lives. She often comes to stay with us here. But the other thing that I think that makes SJ really unique and special and inspirational is actually she has got a big She's, she's highly inclusive and always has been, I think, as a real kind of inclusivity pioneer in many ways. But I think also she's a shining example of somebody who has built a career wall of such breadth. You know, she has bricks in every different place. Um, so she has worked in commercial marketing, customer supply, supply, and she now heads up our people team. She is now our HR director at Innocent. Um, but she is really somebody who has just supported me over the years. And I remember when I was going through the redundancy process, she was somebody who, you know, I think occasionally I get quite emotional with SJ and just say, you know, you've, you've had such a big impact on my life. You've had such a big impact on my career and and thank you. And you are one of those people who I will look back and, and always just have a really special place for. But yeah, that would be the brilliant SJ. Lovely. Thank you. And how nice for her to hear that feedback from you as well. Often <laughs> I don't think we tell people, do we? So yeah, that, that must be lovely for her. And I think what's really powerful is is how much of a, a purpose-led business uh, Innocent is. And I know that that's something that's really important to you personally and sounds like, you know, a big part of the reason that you have sort of gone gone back and, and uh, made it your, your home. Can you expand on what it means to, to work for a purpose-led business? Yes. I mean, it's a big question, isn't it? I think what I love about Innocent is that from day dot we have been a purpose-led brand. When the founders set up our business, you know, we had a vision and a purpose right from the start that was all about getting more fruit and veg into people and, you know, to help them live well and die old, basically, was the kind of original aspiration. And I think for me personally, purpose has always really mattered in my life. And I don't know whether that's something that stemmed from my childhood values. But I do remember a very significant and quite an acute shift actually in my mindset when I remember sitting in, I think I was at my mum's house and it was Boxing Day 2004 and that really horrific tsunami hit. And I remember watching it on the news and just from the comfort of my very privileged, very comfortable home and just thinking, gosh, I I really need to do something to make a difference. You know, I can't just sit here and and let this stuff happen. Mm. And that at that point, I started volunteering for Childline in the UK, a charity that actually I was really aware of from a child, because I think at boarding school, there were Childline posters posted up on the walls everywhere. And I went to some great boarding schools. It wasn't a reflection of them. But, you know, I remember being aware of that charity. So I volunteered for Childline. And I also decided to go and volunteer. And and the time out after university, I actually moved to Fiji and worked for Save the Children over there um, doing marketing and fundraising. Um, That was actually a bit of dabbling in marketing before I even kind of started my career in a way. So that was kind of my, my personal journey with purpose. But then joining a business like Innocent and seeing how they really live and breathe purpose in everything that we do, we have our core values and we measure against those, we recruit against those 
and our, you know, everything we do, does it get more fruit and veg into people? Um, you know, it's that kind of single-minded focus of, are we trying to do something that helps people? And I think also innocent a part of the B Corp community, which interestingly, again, on a, on a personal note, you know, B Corp being a, a movement of, of businesses trying to use uh, business as a force for good and a force for change. And I remember when I was going through the redundancy process thinking, what am I looking for in, in another business? And B Corp being really high up there on, on the agenda, just because of what it represents, what it stands for, and how it thinks about, you know, people and planet as much as it does about being a sustainable, profitable business. But I think, you know, that balance for me and kind of being the change that you want to see in the world and feeling like you're part of a much bigger picture that, that is trying to use business as a force for good and generally leave things a little bit better than we find them, I think is a really powerful thing to be part of. And so it's really important that brands are continuing to push in, in this way because so many have started to sort of pull away from purpose and, and also on the sort of wider area. I was at a, a dinner last night where we um, some various agency leaders talking about the fact that people are pulling back on DEI because of, you know, financial issues at the moment. And and it's it just feels it's kind of refreshing and reassuring that there are uh, brands like Innocent that are still pushing forward with with purpose because I think some people have pulled back a bit and it makes mm. me very, very concerned for our industry. So thank you on behalf of Innocent. Thank you. <laughs> well, do you know, it's, it's really interesting just hearing you say that actually because sometimes I think we reflect to Innocent that there are times where it feels like everyone's jumping on the purpose bandwagon, um, which, you know, in a way is great, but there's also a point where we can't just pay lip service to purpose. If you're really going to do it, we really have to to sign up for it. And I think sometimes that's hard. Sometimes you are trying to do a bit of good and you'll, you'll take a bit of flack um, for that. But I think, you know, I'm sad to hear that, that kind of perception that things are going backwards. And I, and I hope that, you know, we can really, don't get me started on you know how we need what we need to do to keep this planet you know moving but I think we can all play a little part uh, to do our bit definitely and let me just talk about leadership because um you've talked about being very open and and these great relationships that you've had with uh different people through through your career but what is one of the leadership traits that has served you well (laughs) I'm gonna bucket it under the term authenticity but I I want to elaborate on that a bit more because I think it's quite easy to say I'm an authentic leader for me that's about and you you said use the word yourself a minute ago but about being open Mm. and for me it's about being open in relation to my emotions you know I mentioned that I kind of shape deep connections I, I feel deeply and interestingly, there's a pattern in people who went to boarding school um, that actually they're unable to connect with their emotions. And I think I've almost bucked that trend. I've almost gone the opposite way and, and, and really kind of connect with my emotions. And often that presents in the workplace. I mean, I will cry in the workplace. I've already talked about it. Well, I mentioned it twice on this podcast alone. But I remember my mum saying to me, you know, you mustn't cry at work. And my mother-in-law says to me, oh, you mustn't cry in front of your children. And I always think, why not? And I, I, I mean, I don't just think it. I'm quite straight talking. And I'll say, why not? Why shouldn't I cry? And why shouldn't I cry at work? Because for me, crying is that expression of my emotions. I cry when I'm happy, when I'm sad, when I'm frustrated or angry. You know, it, it's how I 
am open about how I'm feeling. And I, I think that my team used to tease me that I cry at the opening of an envelope. It doesn't take <laughs> much. But I do think that actually by showing that vulnerability, by showing that authenticity and, and being open about that, you enable others to do the same. And actually, I had some feedback from somebody who was my manager a few years ago. I mean, years ago now, probably eight years ago. And they said to me, you know, Casey, when you used to cry, I used to think it was such a weakness. And now I think it's a real strength. And I think that just shows, I'm not saying that I was, you know, an early adopter of emotional intelligence or, you know, mental health and wellbeing or, and I also just want to be clear, I do not spend all of my time at work crying, but I just think being open about how you're feeling, being yourself and being able to express that in a way that is productive for you, I think is really important and something that in the workplace so often we shy away from or we hide. And thank you so much for talking about that, because I know that, you know, I've spoken to people who have felt that they've been held back in their career because they have had feedback saying they're too emotional. And what that means is that they've, they've, you know, cried at a meeting. And why shouldn't you cry in a meeting? As you say, it, it can be to do with uh, stress, it can be do, to do with happiness, it can be uh, all sorts of things. But if we try and sort of squash that down, what does that say about us? Mm. And And actually... I think it can lead to very intense and honest conversations when, when you are able to show those emotions. Yeah. So I, I think that's really important to talk about that. I, th I thank you. I think just to build on that as well, surely it shows that you just really care as well. Yeah. You know, you, you really care. And, and I think what's interesting to your point around if they've been given that feedback around being emotional, if, if someone is to raise their voice or express their, emotion, their emotions in a different way, seemingly at times it's more acceptable in the workplace. And I don't understand, I have a bit of a bugbear um, about it, but why, you know, showing emotion in the form of crying or getting tearful is, is sometimes deemed to be a weakness or deemed to be a kind of a, a softer skill or, you know, um, histrionic in, in some way. Um, whereas if it was, if it was portrayed in a different way, but I think whatever your go-to is, I think just being open with that and, and expressing that and sharing that because you're so right. It just leads to those open and honest conversations and moves things forward. Right. Yeah, absolutely. In a sort of slightly different segue. Um, uh, we do a lot around, um, leadership in a crisis because uh the the sister company to the social element is is Pompeo, the crisis simulation company mm. and a big part of what we talk about is psychological safety and having teams that do feel free to challenge and free to express emotion and sometimes that is actually crying in the middle of a crisis but it's a great sign of a high functioning team that is psychologically safe where people can express their emotions so I think I, I feel like there's a movement coming on here. <laughs> well, we are nodding away in agreement. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what, what advice would you give to um, marketing leaders that are perhaps earlier in their in their career? I mean, it's linked to what we've just discussed, but I think that fundamental just be yourself. Because I think there are times in my in my life, in my working life, where I have probably overflexed my style the other way and whilst it's useful to flex your style in certain situations if you do it too much for too long it's not sustainable and so I think being yourself and I think you know I I'm a practitioner for color insights and part of what I love about that is really understanding what makes people tick and 
a celebrating difference and how we approach situations differently. And that diversity of thought is what shapes really strong teams alongside, you know, psychological safety, as, as we just discussed, and that kind of foundational trust. My husband and I are incredibly different people, but I think as a result, we broaden each, other horizon, each other's horizons. You know, we, we support each other and kind of give each other different perspective. And I think, you know, just really knowing who you are being open about that and being able to celebrate, you know, yourself and, and doing that, I think can really set you up uh, for success because you might not realize that you are broadening horizons for someone else, you know. Um, and I think, yeah, it just promotes that kind of authentic leadership piece. Can I squeeze in a second one as well? Please do. Absolutely. Please <laughs> I think, do. I mean, there's so much, right? I, I would be here. I don't know how long we've got, but I would be here but, well over the time that we've got. But also I know, I know you're a mentor as well. So I know you've, you've probably yeah. got several nuggets that you'd be really happy to share. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the mentoring thing for me is a real kind of, again, it goes down to purpose and paying it forward, right? You know, having had mm. the kind of support I've had over the years and how I can pay that forward. But I think this is something I will, I will often say, and actually it's probably a nugget that came from my dad years and years ago, but is, is that classic, you know, build, don't burn bridges. Mm. And it never fails me to, it never fails to surprise me, sorry, how the connections and the network I have and the people that I've met along the way. And, you know, always looking to keep the door open, not closed and just really, I mean, I work, you know, I work in a very small industry and, you know, everyone knows everyone and it, you just, it can be so surprising how those relationships come back and you mm. cross paths with people again later in life. But I think one of the things, um, you know, part of the reason I'm here is because of the brilliant Ruth Fittick, um, yes. who I know was featured on a podcast a little while ago. And, and Ruth and I crossed paths very early in our careers. She was at Pop Chips, I was at Innocent and we were having a meeting about dot com, I think I was I was leading some work at Innocent in dot com, and they said, "Oh, can we have a little chat? And could you share some, you know, thoughts, tips, advice?" So we we had a conversation, you know, at a cafe in Shepherd's Bush years ago, years ago, and then last year she put something on LinkedIn about somebody, you know, her background that she wasn't conventionally trained in marketing. In fact, her degree was in English literature um, and, and all this stuff. And I just wrote her a message on LinkedIn, a personal message, and just said. Honestly, I read your post and I could have written it myself and it resonated hugely. And if you ever want to have lunch or a coffee and chat marketing, I am all ears, I am here. And we met up, we had lunch. And now it, it was really interesting because having that connection and also realizing that as a life stage, we have children of almost exactly the same ages. And I think that kind of sheer empathy that we can have, but also she's really someone who builds me up and, you know, we've really shaped this, this connection. And it's somebody who literally we had a conversation years ago in a cafe about com, and yet here we are now. And she's, she's a real kind of true valuable support that I have in my life. And she's also the reason I'm here. So thank you very much, Ruth. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you very much, Ruth. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for that, Katie. So we're going to move on to the final section of the podcast now where we get a bit, well, I, I am going to use the word frivolous um, and a bit more personal. So we'll start with, what's your idea of a perfect weekend? So I love the seaside. I think it's my spiritual heartland. Uh, so a perfect weekend for me would be spent with family and friends on the North Norfolk coast by the sea. 
ideally in winter, you know, we started this podcast talking about the crisp day we're experiencing in, in <laughs> England today. And honestly, I think we do winter so well in England, you know, the pub lunches, the rosy cheeks, mm. the crisp walks, you know, even the rain. I'm, I'm a weird person that I love winter. So it would be a, a winter seaside weekend with, you know, fresh air, fish and chips, family, friends and merriment. I really have a thing about walking along on a crisp cold day with a bag of chips. It's got to be outside. <laughs> got to eat yeah. the fish and chips outside. Um, okay, thank you. So imagine a movie about your life. What would be the tagline on the poster? This is such a hard question to answer. <laughs> um, do you know, I, I think it would be something along the lines of a tale of rosy cheeks, family, friendship, and the pursuit of jolliness. Um, I think jo- jolly is one of my favorite words. It's the season to be jolly all year round in my house. And I think, you know, I, f- I try and find the jolly in each and every day. You know, there's always something. So I think it would be something broadly around that, but also very much with the kind of family and friends and my rosy cheeks, which are my kind of signature move, always have been. <laughs> I, I, I blush like there's no tomorrow. So um, that would be it. I'd go and see that movie for sure. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> so what's one of your bucket list travel destinations? So in terms of somewhere I've not been before, South Africa is definitely up there. I've got a lot of family and friends who've been and are very smug that they've been, you know, kind of you know, when anyone I've met who's been there just raves about it. And I've got family there and I'd love to go um, South Africa but also somewhere I've been before, so it's, it's less of a bucket list, but I'd, I'd really love to go back to Fiji and mm. see my my friends who still live there that I've worked with all those years ago. You know, Tamara, who was my boss in Fiji, she and I exchanged messages recently where England beat Fiji in the rugby and I was so torn, but I sent her a message and she replied straight away, even though it was 5am in the morning in Fiji. And I'd love to take my family to, to see you know, because they'd never actually, even though my husband and I were together, um, he there was a coup in Fiji we had to leave, so he, he couldn't come and see it with me, and I'd, I'd love to take them back to see Fiji. That can be a, a boomerang bucket list. Then. That's okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> How would you fare in a zombie apocalypse? I love this question. I, I've, heard, I've heard you answer ask it before, and I am... Um, <laughs> Honestly, I'd like to think I'd be quite practical and quite calm mm. in a zombie apocalypse. But I would like to say that I would charm them with jolliness. Uh, I, there's, there's a film on Disney called Zombies, which is basically, I don't know if you've seen it. Nope. No, no, it's basically high school musical meets zombie apocalypse with an That's underlying. Why haven't I seen it? I know. <laughs> <laughs> and it's basically, it's got a great soundtrack and it, it's got this really underlying message about diversity and inclusion and, and it's brilliant. So I will be taking all of my tips from, uh, Disney's zombies, but honestly, I, I, I don't, I don't know if I'd actually fare that well, therefore in a, in, in a zombie apocalypse, but anyway, I'll do my best. I- I'm thinking this is going back to the sort of the acting that you're basically going to put on a zombie musical. Basically. There we go. Absolutely. <laughs> How would your friends describe you? I think they would sound quite straight talking, uh, very thoughtful. I mean, Jolly would probably feature in there too. And, and maybe Rosy Cheeks would feature in there too as well. But I think one word that comes up that I find quite surprising to an extent is maternal. 
And that is a that is a word that my friends would use to describe me before I had children as well. And I thought I you were going to say, but not after. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, I think they still do. Um, but yeah, one of my one of my oldest friends, um, her mum died when we were at school, and I think I kind of stepped into a role, not consciously, um, but it's something she she said to me. And actually, interestingly, I think I'm the same in the workplace. I had a chap who was in my team for for years and he used to say to me, Katie, you are the mother without a child. You know, you just need to look after people. So yeah, I think maternal is probably one as well that comes up a lot. And food, let's talk about food. What's your favorite restaurant or food experience? Mm -hmm. Uh, So I have slightly annoying dietary requirements for health reasons. Um, So Mm -hmm. ideally I'd go somewhere that accommodates them without me having to be that really high maintenance person that says, oh no, I'm pescatarian and gluten-free. But I I love sushi as long as it's got gluten-free soy sauce or a really good curry. And I think curry for me is just that kind of sharing, everybody tucking in, um, you know, and I, and I don't, I'm not precious where the curry is from, what kind of cuisine, but I just love a curry and the spices. And I also love cooking curries. Fantastic. Karaoke. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously the last karaoke question do you like karaoke? Do you have a go-to song? Uh, Material Girl by Madonna. Every time. I love that you didn't even answer yes or no. Yeah. You like it. Yeah, straight in. <laughs> Material Girl. Yeah, I, I, you know, I sang it in a talent competition when I was about 10. And I think it's always just served me well ever since. <laughs> Fantastic. I love that. Okay, well, uh, I know that we're going to be organising a, a karaoke party at some point in, in next year. So you're, you're on the list. <laughs> I'm in. I'll just blush lots at the same time, but I'll be there. <laughs> Katie, thank you so much. We've covered we've covered a lot today and it's been such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Is there anything that uh, we haven't covered that you'd like to talk about or do you have any last closing thoughts for us? I think the the only kind of thought I have, I love, and I've said this to you before, I know, but I love the fact the podcast is called Genuine Humans. And I think the kind of parting thought that is something that I just live by, you know, never underestimate the power of humanity. And I think more and more as we move more into a world of digital AI, you know, hybrid working, remote working, I just think that kind of those random acts of kindness and those little gestures and big gestures that, you know, human beings can make for each other, with each other, you know, I think never underestimate the the power of that. And I think we can all do our bit in being those genuine humans that, that make that happen. You've been listening to Genuine Humans, brought to you by The Social Element. If you loved what you heard, remember to subscribe or you can find out more at www.thesocialelement.agency.